0: Is stealing in as relapse sums up of the
1: Hello and welcome to episode 377 of the Thinking Poker podcast. From Owings Mills, Maryland, I'm Andrew Brocas,
2: And from Las Vegas, Nevada, I'm Carlos Welch.
1: And we will be joined today by Fergal Nealon, who is in uh, somewhere in Ireland. Did he say he was in Dublin or did he not say?
2: I can't
1: remember
2: exactly
1: where he was. Um, yeah, I can't remember. Well, he's in Ireland anyway, which is uh, exciting. And I will say I, um, I, I enjoy Irish accents in general. And in particular, <laughs> hearing people say Carlos in an Irish accent, Yeah, I, uh, I, I quite enjoy.
2: <laughs> yeah, they pronounce it with the U.
1: <laughs> Carlos. <laughs> um, so Fergal is uh, actually, he was, well, I guess you've you met him as well. Um, was a friend of Dario Carnes, which is who put us in touch with him. Um, he's a former professional poker player, and uh, he's actually working now on a project, which is a decent amount of, of what we talked to him about, to get uh, medical supplies into parts of Ukraine. Um, essentially, he uh, had a company, or maybe still has the company, it sounds like they're maybe a little on, on hiatus right now, um, and, and his developers were in Ukraine. Uh, so when the, the war broke out, you kind of asked them, like, what, what, what can we be doing to help you? And uh, essentially through contacts that he has, um, in in some cases through poker, uh, poker contacts that he has, uh, they are able to get supplies across the border and and into areas where um, the Red Cross and and other relief organizations, uh, as as he explained it, are not currently able to reach. Um, So pretty, pretty uh, interesting and uh, I think important conversation that we had with him. And of course, uh, there will be opportunities for you to uh, contribute to Fergal's efforts if you are uh so moved to do so after listening to him as i think both carlos and i were
2: yes definitely
1: yeah. I, I went onto their website to contribute and you can like see the um you know other people have contributed recently and like your name was at the top of the list when i, when I went over there to make my contribution.
2: <laughs> yeah i appreciate the opportunity to just help out any way i can um because like you know whatever um small effort I can help to get some medical supplies for people who are actually doing the, the, the the real work over there. I'm I'm always grateful to be able to help.
1: Yeah. So I obviously we'll talk a lot more about this with Fergal. But for those who are curious now, uh, the name of the organization is Rapid Relief Ukraine. Um, we do have a strategy segment first, and this is based on a question from uh, Maximum Value, uh, or 80, uh, I think is, is their name. Um, Maximum Value was uh, how they identified themselves, which I liked. Um, and AD asked, for the first time, I've started personal fitness training. Uh, To achieve my goals, I thought it would require certain improvements, uh, only to find out what I thought was in fact way off the mark. Uh, Instead of the things that I was expecting, most of my personal fitness training time is spent addressing fundamental issues that never occurred to me, uh, which caused me to think of poker. Most of us ask common questions or try to improve in obvious areas where we think we need improvement. However, I'm guessing uh, poker players often fall into a similar trap uh, I did with regard to fitness, and I simply do not consider less obvious areas where they might be weak. Uh, As experienced participants and trainers, what do you all think is often overlooked when uh, a player is trying to improve? Um... (laughs) <laughs> I'm happy to go first if you want to think on it for a minute. Yeah, yeah, you go first. Okay, so I think, um, I mean, it, it does kind of depend on what people's current level of experience is. I think that a, a common trend that I see both in, in coaching and when people are submitting hands for uh, Thinking Poker Daily or, or even just like this for the regular show um I think a lot of times people focus on issues that have high emotional valence, like it was a big pot, or you were really kind of agonizing over the, the decision, or if something very good or very bad ended up ended up happening. Uh, and, and I guess there's also a selection bias in terms of at least what we're choosing for, for the regular show, and I remember this was the case back when I had a, a poker blog as well. Like the hands that I chose to talk about, I was often choosing weird situations precisely because, I mean, it is kind of what makes them interesting for a, a, a blog or a podcast or something. It is sort of like, well, here's a spot you haven't seen before. Like, you don't have many opportunities to three bet bluff the river, but like, here's a weird time where I did it. Um, so, I mean, those kinds of things are kind of like interesting, but they're not really where where your study time is, is best spent. Uh, and I think this is also true. Like, a, a lot of questions are, you know, I faced this big bet on the river and I had top pair. Should I have called the bet? And... That kind of, like, should I or shouldn't I bluff catch, uh, there's often literally not a theoretically correct answer. Like, if, even if we were to you put it all into a solver and everything, often you just end up being indifferent between calling and, and folding in, in those kind of spots. And this is often true when you're sort of torn or two decisions seem very close to you, Um I mean, if if they are, in fact, very close. Like, you can make a lot of arguments one way or the other. It's kind of, well, which which thing should I be trying to exploit or what kinds of assumptions should we make about a typical player that might push us one direction or the other? But the bottom line is, like, it probably doesn't actually matter that much. So I think it's important first to consider situations that occur commonly. And that's why so much training material tends to focus on, like, pre-flop ranges and flop continuation betting decisions. Um, Some of it is that that stuff is foundational, like, literally, you have to build your future strategies on, on top of those things, so you know, starting with a good foundation is important. But it's also just that those things occur often. So if you're making small errors when it comes to your continuation betting decisions, that's going to be a bigger deal than if you're making small errors when it comes to, to check-raising rivers, which is something that's just not going to occur as often. So I think that it's useful for you to, um, maybe even while you're playing, like I do this when I'm playing online, I just try to if like if you're using Poker Tracker you can just tag hands while you're playing or flag them as worthy of looking into later. So anytime I encounter a situation where I'm kind of unsure of, of how to proceed, I I will tag that. And sometimes that ends up being a big pot, but often it's just like on the flop I was kind of like is this a good hand to continuation bet at this stack size or you know what what bet size should I use on on this particular flop in, in this situation or you know should I be looking to check raise this flop instead of continuation bet it? And um, if you're just kind of not sure how to handle that spot, even if it ends up going perfectly fine for you, like you do make the bet and your opponent folds and you win the pot or you know whatever ends up happening, um, just keeping track of what are the spots where you're not really sure uh, – you're not confident in in your approach to them, uh, and then using some kind of external tool to investigate them. So that external tool it might be a solver, it might be a friend, it might be writing to the Thinking Fucker podcast, it might be a coach. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can get that feedback, but um, I, I think at, at some point you want to take it beyond yourself, uh, as opposed to just kind of thinking and sitting about it, and sitting and thinking about it using only the resources inside of your head. You want to bring in some kind of um, outside expertise to help you look at those spots.
2: Yeah I agree with that and to piggyback off of it I'll say you can use these sort of tools to also identify spots that you don't even know to look at. Like you, you've mentioned that these are spots that are kind of like emotionally interesting to you enough that you want to tag them to like research later. But there's some other spots where you may be losing money that you don't even think to look in those spots. And I got to give a shout out to um, Alice Fitzgerald assassinato because he um, helped me identify one way to find these spots. Um, and that is to, go in your database, and, like, look at win rate on particular um, hand types. So uh, I use Holder Manager 2, and on Holder Manager 2, you can go into a tab called um, Hand Groupings, and it'll show you, like, your win rate on all your um, suited connectors of or, 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 like, you know, maybe, like, a good example would be something like offsuit suit one-gappers from like middle position or early position. Uh, you might be playing those hands thinking that you're supposed to, but then you look at the win rate and see that you're not making money with those hands. That either means you're playing them incorrectly or you shouldn't be playing them at all. But that gives you a spot to like, it kind of like leads you. If you pull that up and look at the type of hands where, uh, the hand groupings where you're losing the most CV That's a good spot to investigate to see if you're playing hands incorrectly or playing hands that you should primarily be folding also um, The positional uh, win rates will kind of help you see if you're playing certain positions um, well or not obviously you're going to be losing money in your database from the big blind and the small blind because even if you fold it um, every hand dealt, you're gonna be like the starting point from the big blind is gonna be like negative 100 BB per 100. So even though that number almost never is going to be positive over a, lo- a large sample size, um, if your number is only like negative 75, so you've only made like a small improvement. That's a spot where you could probably do a lot better. So um, like Andrew said, you can like talk to some coaches or maybe find some other resources online to kind of see what those numbers should be and then try to get better in those spots to at least try to approach uh, the um, standard numbers in those situations.
1: Yeah, I like that. The, the one thing, and I know you know this, but just for the sake of people listening, uh, I, I think a fair number of people might not have databases that are large enough for them to reach meaningful conclusions with regard to hand classes. Um, even with regard to positions, like by the time you break down, I mean, if, if we think that... Uh, even even like tw- you know, twenty thousand hands for a win rate is, is uh, kind of like a borderline. Like I think that's sort of the, the minimum number of hands if you wanted to like brag about your win rate online. Uh, I think like the minimum number of hands you would need to not get just sort of like left out of a conversation on two plus two or something <laughs> would be like twenty thousand hands to so, say like I'm I'm over twenty thousand hands I'm I'm winning at you know such and such big blind per hundred. Uh, and I think often people would want to see even bigger numbers than that. So once you break that down, um, like a six-handed table, you break that down by six positions. I mean. You you would need 120,000 hands in order to have 20,000 hands in each of those six positions to get a, a sense of like what your win rate might be in those spots, and it's going to be even harder with hand classes to, to have. So I think like for short of high volume players, I think that kind of thing is like it's not impossible, but it's it's there, there's a bit of a limit on um, exactly how much you can accomplish with that if, if you're not a real high volume player. Uh, there are also like you know poker snowy has a tool where you can um, it, it'll like evaluate your your play and uh... It really is just pointing to... I mean, the same thing that like that, that kind of Poker Tracker review would do. It is just pointing to potential red flag areas. It can't necessarily tell you what you should be doing differently. It can point and say, oh, I would have played this one hand differently. It doesn't necessarily mean that you made a mistake, because Snowy's not making any kind of assumptions about your opponents, and, and you might want to, you probably should want to, uh, make certain kinds of assumptions about your opponents. Um, there's other tools like... Um, well, like I think Range Trainer Pro uh, can, can do something like this. Uh, there's... Um, DTO, I think uh, Poker Simple maybe has, has one of these. Um, th- th- there's a number of these like trainers now where they'll give you uh, spots and you can compare yourself to how a solver would have played that spot. And again, it's you're not necessarily wrong just because you did something different than what the solver did, but it, it's it's a useful starting point and it's a way of evaluating your uh, of getting like an outside opinion on your play. Um, I guess I can also plug now this is something that I do um, where people can (laughs) send me uh, hand histories and and I'll do a review and and I'll suggest things that you can... um Work on both in terms of kind of like making immediate improvements to your play, like you know, maybe stop playing so many off Broadway hands from early position, but also just like suggest resources that might be useful to you, books or, or videos or whatever else. Um, so I, I, it occurred to me I, I didn't do a plug before we started the strategy segment, so I'll just roll right <laughs> into a plug now. Uh, and you can write me at andrew uh, at thinkingpoker.net or at thinkingpoker on, on Twitter if you're interested in that, and uh, we, can, we can go from there.
2: Yeah, I definitely say that is a great way to find those um uh unknown unknowns.
1: Yeah. Um what other things that you think are kind of like important in poker that that maybe don't strike people as important when they uh if if they're newer to to poker or just something that, that you didn't realize how important it was and at some point you had a realization of like, "Oh, this is I should be paying more attention to this."
2: Bet-sizing.
1: Mm.
2: Bet-sizing is a big one that, it, honestly, I think is where all the money comes from, and so many people don't realize that. A great example of this is C-bet-sizing with bluffs. A lot of times, people will have like a standard size. Like I can remember, thankfully, this was like a long time ago now, but I was like the half-pot-button king Like. I will just hit that button every single time and like, didn't matter, hand tight, board texture, none of that mattered to me. I will just click the half pop button. And also I was probably c-betting too often back then. But what I've learned is you actually can get away with c-betting a lot more than should be theoretically correct if you choose the proper sizing. So a good example of this is a lot of times my small c-bet size is quarter pot and if i'm up against um the big bl- so big blind opens i mean i open big blind calls i get some dry board i see that quarter pot that player has to um defend like 80 percent of the time to make my bet uh unprofitable and when you look at Um, It's gonna be a little bit less than that um, just due to the fact that I'm in a position I'm supposed to have some profitable plays, but let's say like 75% of the time Um, If you think about the average big blind defending range and then think that this guy has to defend like 75% of that um, On a dry board it becomes very hard for players to even get anywhere close to that number so those small c bats are just massively profitable when you compare how often they need to work to how often they actually work. Now, if you're like, you know, old Carlos and you're just c-baiting like half pot in these spots, now your opponent doesn't have to defend as often as they otherwise would. And so they kind of like um, almost by accident get closer to the correct Uh, minimum defense frequency and that causes you to lose that spread and therefore lose the profitability of those bets so small bets against opponents who don't defend often enough against them are ridiculously profitable but it's hard to see the profit in it because a lot of people think of uh, poker money in terms of chips if I bet two thirds pot and and they got folds and you bet Quarter pot and the guy folds. Who cares? We both won the same number of tips. Like, it's the same profit. But that's not how profit works. So, like, something like that is kind of hard for, I think, a lot of the new players to see, but it's super important.
1: Yeah, I think there, there's a related thing here just in terms of, like, thinking about what your what your goals are. Like, what is it you're, like, really trying to accomplish at, at the poker table in terms of, like, things that people – Maybe would do better to, to work on or, or think about it, or like they don't realize the importance of it initially. Um, I think sometimes people are just kind of focused on like winning pots, you know, and they're like, "Well, uh, I'm more likely to win the pot if I make the larger c bet, right? Like if I make a small c bet, my opponent's not going to fold bottom pair. Or he's not going to fold. You know, like, they'll, they'll sort of rattle off hands. This is my experience encouraging people to make smaller bets. Um, people are yeah. sort of rattle off like, "Well, but this bad thing could happen. Or, like they're not going to fold this to that bet." And, the, like, the, the goal is not to win pots. The goal is not even really to make your own decisions easier. The goal is to make your opponent's decisions difficult. And if you think about the way Carlos framed that, right, what you said, Carlos, was, you know, you're putting a difficult burden on your opponent where they have to defend a lot of hands to that small bet, and that's going to put them in some really difficult spots. It's, I mean, A, it's not intuitive. So for someone who hasn't, like, studied the— the math and the theory and like looked at solvers they a may not understand that they're supposed to be um, defending that often or that they have the incentive to defend that often to that bet and even if they do they might not realize like which hands would be good for it they might not realize that when you bet smaller they should be check raising more aggressively so part of it is just that like the response to that that kind of bet is less intuitive and it's harder for your opponent to get right i mean often that bet will show up and even at equilibrium meaning that uh, even if we're not making any assumption about your opponent having a difficult time, um, or, like, if your opponent responds as well as they possibly could, which is what a solver is going to allow for, um, that still often ends up being the correct bet size. But I think it becomes even better when you recognize that it's a, a difficult strategy to get right and one that many of your less sophisticated opponents are really going to be really ill-equipped to... Um, to respond to. And th- th- that really is your objective with poker is to, like put your opponents in difficult situations and try to create situations where it's difficult for your opponents to find the right play, more so than to like make sure that you win the pot when you have top pair or to protect your hands or to maximize your fold equity when you have bluffs or to win a tournament. Um, I-, I think just kind of tr- having in mind the wrong objective uh, is something that steers a lot of people wrong
2: yeah yeah and I always love the way you put that. It's like the goal in poker is to put your opponent in difficult spots like make it hard for them to find the right de- to make the right decision and if you do that often enough, especially against the type of humans I play against, um they're usually gonna make the wrong des- decision, and that is gonna result in money eventually flowing
1: your way yeah i th- I think like uh- the, the, what I think of is the kind of the prototypical response of someone who doesn't get this are the people who will like min three bet aces pre flop and then just bomb the flop. <laughs> um, yeah, where you know, like they're just kind of like, well, I, I really want action. Like, I don't want I don't want you to fold pre flop when I have aces. And then like once they get to the flop and they see like any possible threat, they're like oh, there's a flush draw on the flop, <laughs> then they just like bet a, a massive amount because now they just want you to go away so they can take the pot. And in both cases, they're like very focused on on one kind of narrow and I think poorly chosen objective and it leads to them um I mean they will often win those pots and they will often win a larger pot than if they'd made a larger three bet pre-flop and you just fold to their three bet which will happen sometimes um you know like they are kind of creating a situation like it's, I think part of what makes this feedback difficult is like they do often get the outcome they think they want where like they put a little more money in the pot and then they take it down without getting drawn out on um and if your goal is, like, don't get drawn out on, <laughs> I guess they're accomplishing that goal. But what they're really doing is they're making the opponent's decisions very easy. Like, when you face a tiny three-bet, um, you you can just call that, and you're going to be correct to call that with, with quite a lot of hands. And you might also have the experience to recognize that that tiny three-bet often comes from aces, um, but even if you don't, just, like, your natural response to that is, well, I'm getting a great price, so I guess I'll call and I'll look at the flop. And then your opponent makes a huge bet on the flop, and then you just sort of fold if you don't have anything and continue if you have something pretty good and that again is going to be like mostly the right strategy if your opponent has aces (laughs) that large bet is helping you correctly fold a lot of bad hands and then it's making it easy for you to win a big pot on the occasion that you did flop something strong
2: yeah yeah the people definitely um almost play in a way that makes it as easy as possible on their opponents as opposed to what they should be doing, which is making it as tough as possible on their opponent. And, yeah, like you said, if your goal is just to win the hand, um, that's fairly easy to do. But that's not going to result in you making money in the long run.
1: Yeah. Um, So I I imagine there are other things. I'm sure if if we... uh, (laughs) I'm sure there are other traps that, that people fall into. But, I mean, that was the stuff that... That came to mind for me when I saw this question. Is there anything else that you want to add?
2: No, no. I think we hit the um, the big ones for sure.
1: Okay, well, I got my plug in. Is there anything you want to uh, <laughs> anything you want to plug?
2: Yeah, um, not like a financial plug, but just kind of a cool plug. Um, recent. Well, I'm not sure when this episode is gonna come out, but. Um, May 4th, uh, um, new edition of Player magazine came out and I have an article in there discussing a couple of hands at the last tournament I won, which was in December, I believe. Um, so a feature, um, full page piece feature called, um, Final Table Takedown where, um, uh, I worked with the author of the article, Craig Tapscott to, um, uh discuss how i took down a final table um so definitely check that out um and um yeah for anything else um related to poker training on my end you can just um, um go to my twitter at hip hop 101 trivia and go to my um bio profile i forget what it's called on twitter yeah, there's a link in there to all my poker shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Some of which is also at uh, NickCast.com, which is also where a lot of my poker shit is.
2: Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) Um, And then, of course, uh, if you want daily strategy segments from us, patreon.com slash daily, and uh, you can hear Carlos and me talking about uh, both specific hands and bigger picture theory questions like this every day of the week. Uh, And our most important plug of all will be for uh, Fergal, who is coming up now, uh, talking to us about Rapid Response Ukraine, uh, which is at rapidresponseukraine.com. Uh, So our guest today is Fergal Nealon, who is a former poker professional, uh, the CEO of Storytracks and the founder of Rapid Response Ukraine. Uh, I'm curious to hear about all of those things, but first off, Fergal, thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks a million, guys. Glad to be here.
1: Um, So I guess maybe we'll just start with with Rapid Response Ukraine. I mean, that's probably the most (laughs) pressing issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Andrew.
0: Um, well, uh, under the guise of Story Tracks, um, my developers were were based out of the Ukraine in Kharkiv, actually. So it was right right, right near the Russian, the Russian border. Um, so they got out, like literally, the you know bombs were landing around them. They they managed to get out to, to safety in the on the western side of the country. And when they got safe, I just just sent a WhatsApp saying, "Listen, guys, we um, is there anything we can do for you?" And, um, and sort of rapid response to snowballed from that that, that one question. Um, they were they were able to arrange um, medical supplies from Romanian doctors um, and, and and they were also able to get them to the battlefields where the likes of the Red Cross and UNICEF and the larger legacy organizations can't um, So we said right we can we can you know get behind this and and, and try and get some highlight this and get some funds to it. Um and and so we did that. We got um, it's all it's mainly all my work is done. It, it's funny because my, my family here think I'm doing nothing. They think I'm scrolling on social media. <laughs> all the work is done on WhatsApp or signal. and um, and it's literally um, we, st- we, got, we get put into requests, uh, WhatsApp groups with medical requesters who would be like the heads of health departments in different cities or, or their administrative staff and um and they're sending out different requests and we're finding the supplies um wherever we can as cheap as possible and, and, and getting them to them as quickly as possible so that, that's what rapid response is about
1: so essentially you're kind of leveraging the fact that you uh, know people who either are, are on the ground in ukraine or were in, in ukraine and, and still like they know people who are in ukraine and you're trying to provide resources that they can then get to um places where they're needed is that a fair summary
0: yeah 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 and I suppose what like our, our USP for want of a, a, a sort of a, in business terms is that is that we we can sort of outrun the the the, the, the large organizations that unfortunately the Red Cross and the UNICEPs their hands are tied politically that they, they can't move their big trucks into the, the areas that we can get to so it's like I suppose like the French resistance, you know, on bicycles and back roads and, and that sort of thing, you know, where um, the guys we use in Ukraine are but by day or by normal terms, normal times, they're, um, they're truck drivers and couriers and things like that. And uh, they're happy to volunteer on this task. It actually saves them being conscripted to the front line um, and they're doing what they do best, you know, they're, and they're using the roads they know to, to, to get medicine safely to, to where they're needed. So... So yeah, we're just, we're just, um, we're harnessing these contacts. And also the guys in Ukraine are, you know, the developers are using their logistical skills to um, to connect the requesters to us. And um, so we're getting updated spreadsheets with with, with the most urgent needs. Um, and, and as they come in, we fulfill these needs um, to the Romanian doctors. And then essentially we're we're just clicking the, 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 the fundraising button, the publicity button in, in, in the West and sort of highlighting this unique channel we have um, and trying
1: to raise the funds to back it up. How's it going so far? I mean, well, how, how much have you raised? How much have you been able to deliver?
0: Yeah, it's look, it's going great. We, we were very lucky. Like first off, um, one of the very early chats when we didn't have any money there was a quest put in for body bags and that really hit home for us you know that, yeah. that they didn't even have the the body bags to bury the dead so we I, i'd be friendly with a local funeral director who had a pallet and and that was you know we were off we had our our, our, our targeted goal and um, local pharmacies added to the to that um to that supply run and we got some money and we were able to buy medicines out there in the ground um and and that's where look the poker community were just amazing. Like we got, we got, um, we got, you know, we got initial seed funds for this first run. The guy who met us off the, um, off the the plane was a, a Polish um, Pokio connection, and he, he worked an on game before, and he got us over the border. Now on that journey, I was lucky enough through media connections to bring a Sunday Times journalist. And um, a, a really interesting story happened on the way. We basically met an Irish guy at the last petrol station before the border, and um, and and he was going into fight with, without any military experience or or um, any he, he didn't even have boots or a phone and stuff like that. So it was quite dramatic, um, and and we had about an hour with him in the car, essentially convincing him to um, you know there was a better way he could he could serve. ukrainians and and to help us out on 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 the medical mission and um, we convinced him to to help us and to turn around and not go in because he was essentially um mince meat if we crossed that border um so so because the journalist was there that gave us a platform when we got home like the story made the front page of the sunday times i ended up telling telling our side of the story on national television while being able to promote the organization so off the back of that, we made um, forty-five to fifty thousand, which enabled our sort of, and and again in poker terms are nut not are not run with the, uh, <laughs> between fifteen and twenty thousand is sort of optimal to not not have too much of a risk on per load, but to make it worthwhile, the guys traveling across the country with it. So, so we um, we get we get that amount of, of purchase medicine. And then we've been donated a lot of sort of supplies of like consumables, um, and 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 we packed the the rest of the van up with these sort of um, bandages, plasters, aprons, gowns, gloves, that sort of stuff, and and send it across the country. So we're doing that per week, and then luckily uh, last uh, two weeks ago, the biggest poker festivals in Europe, anyway, the Irish Open, um, invited us in to to have a stand and to raise money at the Irish Open, which which just went really, really well. We we managed to make, and we're donated 45,000 um, throughout the whole festival. And that was um, th- event number one, um, the host JP and, and Paul Riley, they donated all the rage fees from event number one, which like is, was a six max. Um, mm. And then the dealers gave all their tips. So that was 9,000 from that alone. Wow. And, and then, yeah, it was amazing. Like, and then that was backed up throughout the week by players we were asking players to donate a percentage of their winnings, and um, and luckily we had a few who made the final table, and we made forty five thousand total from from players, dealers, and and the organization during the week. So, we're over one hundred and twenty now, over one hundred twenty thousand so far.
1: When you, you use the term risk per load, when you were talking about uh, how, how much supplies you were moving, what what's the risk that we're talking about there?
0: Yeah. So look, look. The, the the guys. You know, we've we our warehouse is in Lvov, um, as they pronounce it, but it's it's Lviv, I suppose, most in the west. L V I V. It's the, probably the safest place you could be in the Ukraine at the moment. Although it was, it's been it has been hit um, a couple of times, but it's it's the far west. And um, so we have a warehouse there, and and we distribute from there according to these requests we get. We sort of triage the the medicines and shoot them out but say the guys the guys who go to kharkiv like they're traveling 40 hours on um on, on back roads um and you know there's the, the risk involved the more east and the more you know south they go there that the, there's obviously a risk now they're doing it through little minivans and trailers so we're you know we're um we're you know, it it it, it, it there obviously there's there's more targets out there that 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 the Russians are looking for and bigger targets. But look, at the same time, it's um it's 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 war times, you know, and there's um there's risk on all sides there. So every time they they make that journey, they're they're risking their lives. Like, and they literally it's the medicines and the fuel they they have to carry the fuel in in barrels on the in the minivan as well. To and they drive in split shifts. Um, so they're, they're going nonstop. Um, so yeah, they they might in in more tougher areas to reach. There, um for cities to get into, they might have to arrange a meet in like a sort of forestry area and, and do a handover there. To and and then someone locally will take the goods that the last leg of the journey to get to get to the the battlefield site. So you know, as soon as soon as you're in the Ukraine, there's risk anyway. But you know, the further east and south they're moving, it, it it gets higher.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you get the sense that people are like actively trying to to target um, medical supplies? Um, Not, not no. We we haven't
0: felt it on our end. Although you know, as I say, like we're not a Red Cross, we're not a a large large organization. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously reasons why they're not moving into areas we can get to. Um, you know, and, and they have to protect their own staff and everything. Um, you know, we, we haven't felt threatened yet, but again, we're just a small drop in the ocean, you know? And so, so yeah. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm sure that, that the threat is
1: there. Um, so what, what's your, your background in poker, you know, when, when you were doing that, what did that look like for you?
0: Yeah, uh. I started out, I think it was, I think, I think I got into the game around 08 or 09 um, and I took it up. My, my parents weren't too well, so I, I had to leave my job and, and move back to kind of a, a small enough town in the northwest of Ireland and um, and, and just took it up to, just because I introduced to the game and, and loved the strategy element and and it was something to do in the evenings. Um, and, then, and then once I realized I could actually win satellites to, to give me an excuse to get out of home for a while and away from my folks then I was all over it so um so yeah I I, early days I sort of specialized in in satellites and um that's where I would have got to know the likes of Daryl Kearney we 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 sort of grinded that UKIPT sats and converting them into t dollars um type type game um and then um very early days then I would have um I would have qualified for, for the world series and Got out there a couple of times and, and and just loved it, you know. Loved getting away from home. Loved the people I met, um, and and then just like started obviously um, getting onto the video training sites, the early ones, and um, soaking up the books. And and then once you got onto the circuit in 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 Ireland and and the UK, you would have got to see the same guys, and then. You know get into like skype chats or msm chats with with, with guys like that and, and other and clicks of players around the place and um so that was it just learned from there and, and played um played professionally i'd say for around around eight years um yeah and it was uh yeah it was good to me it was fun
1: it seems like there's a really strong irish um poker community just like a lot of uh fellow feeling among people who are uh in in the in the
0: country playing poker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it certainly is There's like there's a really rich tradition there like the, the the Irish Open is is certainly I I'm I'm pretty certain it's Europe's oldest mm-hmm. poker festival. It was it was the guy saw something going on in Binions and and decided to to bring it to Europe. And um, so so there's a tradition that stretches back to there, you know, and um and of course there was a time, I think it was 90s where there was like uh it was three irish players on a, on a world series final table um i think um one of them years it was in in binion's I can't, I can't remember who won that one but there was certainly three irish in the final table so it was a rich history here and then the big big plo cash players as well um the ods and um yeah a lot a of, lot of big history there um but on the circuit um yeah you you'd, you'd, you'd kind of you know that they, they do tend to to stick together the travel well and i think for a small country like again it's only got a population of, of four million so to sort of like no more than the golfers like we you know we we tend to punch above our weight in in terms of cards um and that, that might be to do to do with the, the history behind it and again like card games are just they go way back in ireland not 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 texas now but you know to be uh 25 is is, is, it was a big popular game and we used to play draw poker and things like that but like they've been
1: going on in ireland for for hundreds of years card games so there is a rich tradition yeah i I forget sometimes you know how much larger the united states is than than many other countries where the idea of like feeling uh a, a kinship with someone just because they're an American or an American poker player I'm like I don't know, there's so many American poker players it doesn't feel I don't know I see someone I'm like oh you're an American poker player also but I guess when there's only 4 million of you it's a little easier to uh, t- to feel that like bond
0: yeah yeah for sure like to be you know some years out there in Vegas be, you know you'd, you'd have I think we counted one year it was 50 odd Irish played the main event either played the main event I think it was played the main event 50 um, odd and um and you'd always like you know if, if someone was on a ra- if someone was on a final table you'd you know, you'd you'd have the majority of the, of the Irish around around that final table as well mm. so um, you know and and then you'd all be going for the meals you you know we had nights we used to go across the road and and go bowling in the Gold Coast together and you know you get twenty or thirty of them there like so um, yeah no the, the the kinship is 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 pretty strong there there's obviously look there's clicks like there is everywhere. But, um, you know, in, in, in general, they they're, they stick together pretty well. You
2: you, you won't remember this, but um, I met you in um, 2015 um, mm. with um, Dara. That's and right. um, And um, I can attest to um, being on the rail of um, his um, deep run in the bracelet event. Uh, That's true. Yeah. yeah, it was a very fun rail there with ours.
0: Yeah, I remember meeting you there, Carlos. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, that was where Dara came, he came second. Yes, yeah, yes. He chopped it, that's right, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, actually, I think that year, we had five five Irish uh, lost heads up. <laughs> oh, wow. We had five sweats for a bracelet. And, uh, yeah, we had five of them on, on the final table that didn't make it. So we haven't won one since um, Marty Smith won the, a big PLO, the 10K PLO, um, back in, like, Maybe 09 or 10, um, which was actually my first year in Vegas, and I didn't know any of the Irish. But I was I was over in the other corner of the Amazon room, sweating uh, at the three hundred, the lowest satellite you could do into the main event, like eight hundred <laughs> runners or something, and another twenty seats. But yeah, that was that was fun. I just heard the ole ole oles from the corner, <laughs> kind of and I knew someone Irish was doing something special.
1: So, what got you out of Booker?
0: uh it was my wee girl like really you know she's six and a half years old so i i tried it with her on the scene for about six months and then it just you know it just wasn't feasible with family life and i think poker and certainly you can see it from my results like back when i started and i was just living at home with the parents and was single and no kids and no mortgage and any of that sort of stuff um I, i could just i could just have that sort of really aggressive style that that really worked back then um in 08 or 9 or so when you could back it up with a bit of a a bit of a theory um and then slowly as more and more responsibilities came in my life I think my ROI (laughs) started decreasing all the time Um, and and it kind of stopped being fun as well Andrew you know once you start thinking about you know bills and and nappy money. It just uh, it started getting a bit more stressful, and then I kind of felt um, I was coming to my late thirties, and I kind of said, right, look, um, I can sort of. And I started thinking about things like pensions and healthcare and stuff like that. You know, and um, and I said, look, at you know I could hang on here and sort of because I hadn't had a losing year. I could hang on here and just you know get by the next few years, but a lot of the better players or the guys who were better players when i started had started leaving and and i kind of felt you know what i could go out and retrain and kind of try and scrub up that 10-year gap in my cv with 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 some college courses and maybe get back into something by my my early 40s and you know if, if i hang on until my mid 40s then you know, I'm I'm trying to get going in my fifties, so I, I felt like it was the time to jump, and 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 I, I, yeah, I think I've I've been proven correct in that.
1: You jumped straight into story tracks.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I did actually. Funny enough, the time I decided to jump was it was like late October. So most of these um, college courses, post grad things, had been. Um, we're, we're all booked out you know to start in september or whatever and it was literally the last course i could get into was a uh, software systems and entrepreneurship and i was just like fine look let's jump in you know it's just something to be doing and um and yeah it, it, I, I absolutely love this and um, the entrepreneurship side of it in particular um a lot of crossovers with 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 poker and mm-hmm. um, poker and startups and um and then yeah story tracks came out of that because at the end of the year you had to produce a business plan so so it sort of merged a couple of my my passions in one being storytelling and um, and folklore so it's it's all about capturing local stories and pinning them to locations so not just say um, Morgan Freeman describing um, say San Francisco or whatever but you'd actually get the you know the bartender or the the cop or the tram driver or whatever. So it's about real people bringing, bringing the local areas to life. So, um, so Storytrax was founded in 2017. And um, it went, as I say now, it went from strength to COVID. Um, so yeah, we, we, we kind of got fairly hammered with the, with the pandemic, but we're still alive, you know, we've, we've survived
1: it. And, and we're, um, yeah, we'll be pushing on from here. It seems like Ireland has a uh, really deep folklore
0: yeah, 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 definitely. Particularly, yeah, that oral tradition of storytelling and and obviously just comes from shannakees. They call them these these characters that told the tales, and um, yeah, it, it comes from. Uh, maybe a lot a lot of the population wouldn't have. Um, at, you know, at at certain times, education was actually outlawed um, by the, the 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 British colonists. Um, and you know there was hedge schools so people had to like you know duck into fields and you know get taught by outlawed teachers and things like that so you know at certain times a lot of the population wouldn't have been able to re- read or write and the oral storytelling became a huge part of the tradition to keep the the culture and the stories going right. Um so so yeah you know it's it's it, it it's great a lot of Irish people can as you, as you know certainly over a few Few pints again, as Carlos. You'd know a lot of a lot of Irish <laughs> people can tell a tale. You know? So, um, so yeah, that was originally what it was about, um, guys. It was about you know I saw my father pass, and he had just thousands of stories, and I thought, wow, that's you know this is happening every day. These stories are dying, and and someday people are going to look up from their their phones and their their social media and realize, wow, where's where's our culture gone? So that was a lot of it, um, and then the tourism side that was a lot of the inspiration. And then the tourism side was the, the revenue generation side because because we saw that, that visitors, um, particularly millennials, were looking for these type of stories and authentic experiences. So it was, it was about matching the the need and then allowing that tourism and, and revenue generating side um, fund the, the preservation of the stories. So that's where we're going with that.
1: Do you have a favorite story that you've preserved? Um. Yeah, there, yeah, there was one just just flashed into my mind.
0: I'm not sure it's my favorite, but the one that flashed into my mind just there. Um, there was a guy called um, Andrew Hegarty, fantastic storyteller. He grew up pretty close to my dad, and I, I love doing this interview because they were friends, and it sort of reminded me of him. And um, he talked about emigrating from from this little place, this little rural farm. And um, he talked about how he left when he was 15 for he'd get a boat to Liverpool, and he really didn't want to go and um his field is sort of on, on this hillside and he's he, he he's walking down the hill and he's he's tears in his eyes he's he, he's crying he's he's walking down with his little border collie dog you know and um and next thing he hears this roar from the top of the hill and it's his father the father's saying come back come back come back and he turns around with with tears in his eyes and he, he starts running back back up the hill and then the father shouts down, "Not you, you bollocks! The bloody dog!" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's
1: one of my favorites. <laughs> hmm. I, I may be pushing this too far, but I'm curious if um, there's some. Like I like mean, you mentioned, like Ireland having the the colonial. Um, tradition, if, if that's some of the fellow feeling with, with Ukraine is kind of seeing that threat of uh, an, an imperial power trying to overrun an, uh, a smaller nation.
0: Yeah, yeah, could be. Um, could be. So for me, yeah, it could be subconsciously for sure. Um, like for, for me, it, it just so happened that it was it was the developer I work with was, you know, in trouble and, and needed a bit of help. And 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 that was it. Like so, it was just the mates in trouble, and then it just sort of snowballed. And then we, when we actually went over to the country, we saw the cars and everything. But I have read like a really good article on that about about the parallels, um, uh, you know, of of being this, you know, proud independent uh, nation uh, at the doorstep of a. Uh, a, you know a giant um a, a giant sort of sort of beast of a of, a, of an occupier uh, and there is other parallels there in terms of um the ukrainians had a famine as well around uh, in in stalin's time i think it was which was very similar to, to the irish famine so yeah there's there, there, there definitely seems to be a kingship there and, and you can see it like the you know the irish we've we've opened our our doors um there's a lot of a lot of Ukrainian nationals that have that have moved in here and have been been welcomed and put up in jobs and things like that. And and the support we've got has been, you know, it's 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 been off the charts like, you know, pe- people just can't do enough for us. Like so it's it's sort of been like if the startup story tracks was if so many doors opened and people said yes to story tracks as it did to rapid response, then you know, we'd we'd have a very successful company right now, you know. <laughs> Um, it's been the easiest thing to sell because you're not selling it's like you literally make a quest and people are saying yes and, and and if someone half hesitates you're already moved on because you know the next person's going to say yes um so that, that that's that's how much people want to want to help this cause
1: yeah i mean i, I know there, there's some division around it but in terms of kind of at least in, in the in the us you know it seems like base almost every issue is, is divisive and ukraine seems to be the thing that we have the most agreement on, which isn't to say that it's, oh, it's universal, okay. but uh, yeah. relative to like pretty much any other um, hot topic in, in the news right now, I think there's a lot more kind of general sentiment towards like Ukraine is on, on the right side of this thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, I'd I'd be yeah, I'd be very surprised now to yeah. Well look at sure I don't know, people think the earth is earth is flat, whatever, you know. There's there's always gonna be some counter arguments to to everything, you know, but but this one seems like a
1: a no brainer to me, you know. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So it's, I mean, I know we talked about you having like a poker network in, in Ireland, but I think you also mentioned that it was uh, a poker contact in Poland who facilitated some of uh, the work that you're, or is facilitating some of the work that you're doing now. No, actually not, not anymore.
0: Um, but like, um, my, my scene there is just like flat out with loads of different things. So we've actually found the channel through Romania where, um, Essentially, the, 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 the Romanian-Ukrainian border is a lot easier to navigate than the, the Polish-Ukrainian um, um, border. And also, what ended up happening while we were out there is the drug supply in Poland um, just got massively, massively restricted. They were essentially preserving a lot of their drugs for their own people and their own army, understandably, in, in fear of what, what might happen to them. Mm um so the the romanian drugs are more freely available they're cheaper and the contacts we have can can get them wholesale and they can bring them to a border channel with the ukraine which which is much easier it's 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 a sort of channel it's like a safe channel whereby um the romanians can hand over the the supplies to the ukrainians with i might be wrong about this but it seems to be like Neither of them are technically in each other's country sort of thing. Do you right. know what I mean? So they have this safe passage of goods. Whereas when you go from Poland to Ukraine, it's more, even though you can openly pass, it's, it's more of this hard border where the, if the Polish go in, then they have to turn around and possibly get in the big queue to get back out of the country. Yeah. And the Ukrainians can't go out because of um, the conscription reasons. So it's just much, much easier to deal with the Romanian pipeline at the moment. Um, but you're right, the, the original contact, like it was J.P. McCann, who runs the Irish Open Festival, connected me with, with, with Marcine, who's involved in cards. It was actually myself, and the first guy I picked up in Sligo, or, or I picked up the font in Sligo, my hometown, was Mark Walsh, who runs the Adelaide Casino, and my old buddy who used to around the circuit playing cards together. And he was the first person to go, yeah, sure, I'll do it, when, when are we flying out? um so like between that and between the between the actual direct action of right guys there's something that's just happened it is literally seven days old at this stage who can help out that line was all poker players and then post the line of right we've proven the supply chain now we need money to replicate it and do it better and better that the majority of the fundraising has come true again, the poker community, the, you know, just so, when it comes to both strands of it, it's like, it's a very strong community for direct action. And when when they see, and obviously I see, you know, people, when when they look, analyze the situation and go, this is what needs to be done, and we can do something about it. So here we go, whether it's in action or funds, the community has been there right through. Even so much so that um, post-Irish Open, uh, while I was there, I met a couple of guys from the UK, um, Scally, John Kalmar, who's a former, he's a final tableist. He finished fifth when, um, the year before the November 9th. So it was um, Jerry Yang's year to win it. He was fifth. Hmm. Um, and then him and Simon Aces Trumper, who was a, an old, old late night poker guy and, and a big character on the British scene. And, um, so John approached me and said, "Look, we'll do something in Dustal Dawn, which is the biggest club in um, in the UK, and Party Poker were having their championships there. So they went and basically replicated what we did in the Irish Open, um, and and they made some good money there. And now they're um, they're looking at going over and purchasing uh, body armor and first aid kits and and bringing them to actual battalions and um, same type of thing as we did." In ireland just get over there do it themselves put put their put their faces to it and then hopefully leverage the contacts in the community to to, to raise more funds on on the back of their their direct action so that's what we, we've done what we've done in ireland we're we're, we're look we're going to keep going on the medicines the guys in the uk we're going to push out on the the body armor and the first aid kits for the, for the actual front line and um and then we're hoping a, like and and this is a big shout out to to the states and the poker industry there is we know World Series is coming up and um, you know we'd love a, a pitch or a stand in at at the series um, to to try and get people mm-hmm. to to donate to to the cause and um, and and what we do is we don't take administration we don't we would literally pay for the t-shirts on our backs while we're raising these funds. There's no wages. There's no admin costs. A hundred percent of the funds go to the medicine, minus the actual fuel that the guys have in their in their barrels to get the get the goods across the country. So, so that's our guarantee there. So we, we'd love to, to, to get in in some shape or form to the World Series. And look, I've been there. I've played there eight years. I know what it's like when those guys are trying to bloody sell you chargers <laughs> for your phone or whatever. And, you know, you're trying to keep your head down. For us, it's very much a soft sell. We're not going to be shaking buckets in the corridor. We're just going to have a stand up. We just want to talk to people about what we're doing and, you know, hopefully get some donations. Because we do realize, our certainly if we didn't know, we've come to realize. The power of the the poker community to to help out in in times like this
1: yeah i think it helps that uh, there's so many people in the poker community with liquid cash <laughs> you know they you feel flushed after winning a tournament it's a little easier to to be generous
0: yeah yeah 100 percent. look at and i was one of those guys you know when when you're on a good run and you do you you, you lose the concept of the value of of money to a certain extent um and then there's you know there's obviously a lot of sort of wealthy businessmen that that just do it as a hobby and, yeah. and enjoy the, the strategy side of things. So it, it's a great place. And and I've often thought because I left the game five years ago, I often thought, wow, if I could uh, if I if, if I could could go back at some level with with the business hat on, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it it's got to be one of the best places to network in the world around a, a poker table. Um. So so yeah, for sure we've. Um, you know, and it's, it's funny, imagine it, the, um, cause, cause of the Irish Open, just in the evenings when we finished, um, I went back and I played the, it was like an eight, eight Euro, or no, sorry, 8 PM, 150 Euro sort of turbo thing. Um, so I, I, I said, I, I flick it in, you know, for old time's sake, cause I literally went cold turkey five years ago. And, um, carlos will know the guys in uh, Dara's friends in the firm that they, they, they were knocking around the room and they saw me in this turbo on the bubble of a, of it and um i used to always you know play a very aggressive game on, on bubbles as, as you should and um and the lads oh there's uh, the cowboy that was my name when he's played a midnight yeah. cowboy. There's the cowboy there's the cowboy on the turbo you know and i, and I says no 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 lads and I pointed up. There was like twenty-five left, and twenty-three got paid. And I think the min cash was two thirty or something. And I says, "No, no, no, lads, no. Times have changed completely." Said, what do you mean? I said, "See that min cash?" And He says, "Yeah, yeah." I says, I says, right." Well, that's that's a that's a good way to the fridge freezer that my missus is looking for at home. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's fridge freezer money, you know. And uh, and I think it literally takes those few years out of the game to sort of. Uh, you know, de- detox or decompress yourself and, and sort of, you know, realize what a what a dollar is worth, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm imagining it would be uh tricky for people to, to walk past the uh, direct aid Ukraine stand uh, on their way to an Uber to go to the strip club. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah
1: yeah 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 yeah
0: yeah 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 no um, yeah look at where we, we we'd love it i i know if we if we got out there for a month like we raised what well, we're on 120 in ireland now and the uk are, are going to pitch in and look at it if, if we got to go out to the world series it could be a game changer for for a lot of people out in the ukraine and save a, a heck of a lot of lives and uh and, and 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 at the end of the day that's what it's about so if anyone out there can. have a word or knows people or is of wsop or or harris you know just just please get in touch and and um and, and we'll try and make make a difference together
2: yeah and in addition to the poker players having liquid cash just the fact that the game is such an international game i think helps for this sort of thing where you can kind of build kinships with people from different countries and cultures that you otherwise wouldn't. So it makes it a lot easier for poker players to help a cause like this, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, Carlos. And, you know, like like your your own kingship with with, with, with the Irish people. I think that it's something unique in terms of like, I'd say my example would be like, say for example, those Irish people that, that, you know, ended up going on tour. It's like, none of us bring the baggage of, of your any previous history or your hometowns or it's the the, those clicks are sort of left behind because it's always like you're one player coming out of a town of say 15 or 20,000 um or even if you're you're from one of the bigger cities like Dublin you're going to be one you're going to be the one player from your suburb or or whatever so so you don't have that same um clicks that uh, that that you might get in other aspects of society like where, where you know you business people and it's like you went to certain schools universities you don't have that you're leaving all that behind you and and when you meet up you're talking about a game just like when we were kids you're talking about you know hands and tournament situations that is this universality amongst amongst everybody so you're speaking the same language and it can be like right across social statuses and and barriers and i think that's what's what's
1: magic about the poker community yeah you mentioned people getting in touch with you how would you like them to do that
0: yeah so it's it's fergal f-e-r-g-a-l at storytracks.ie Fergal at StoryTracks, um, which is all the one word there, dot sie or um, RapidResponseUkraine at gmail.com, RapidResponseUkraine at gmail.com. And also the URL is, is ra- if you just want to put your hand in your pocket and, and, and don't want to um, get involved, that's fine. We'll, we'll take the money and get it where it needs to go, into the medicines and straight to the battlefields. And that's www.rapidresponseukraine. Dot
1: com. Um, I'm happy to talk more. Although I'll admit I've kind of run out of uh, questions, but if there's more that you wanted to talk about, you're uh, you are welcome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's fine, really. Any any questions? I'll take. Um, but yeah, I can. I can't smell dinner. Been been. <laughs> so I'll take that either. No problem. But if there's anything you do want to want to cover go back on no problem
1: Carlos are you
0: good
2: no yeah yeah I'm good I think we covered it pretty well I'm um, um, I don't have um, very many um, additional questions but yeah I think it was a great conversation and I I'll definitely um, be looking forward to checking out um, the resources that Fergal mentioned
0: thanks 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 guys and anything you want um, you know if, if you want to um, I don't know. Do you do you put URLs on, on the end of the podcast? If you can just throw that up, like the yeah,
1: the, I'll, I'll get know, that from you. Well. To um, you know, what all we should okay. put in the in the show notes in terms of directing people there. Yeah. and it'll probably be like a week and a half before this comes out. But um, I yeah. I, mean, I, I can tweet about it and whatnot now and, and try to get people. Uh, you know, I think plenty yeah, of people and are and looking and- for this sort of thing already.
0: Yeah, and look, if you you guys do have contacts in 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 WSOP or hours, that'd be you know just that'd be great if you could give them a nudge. If you do,
1: yeah, I'll i think on that. I feel like that's going to be an uphill battle just because it's such a corporate environment. I feel like they're probably yeah. pretty um pretty hamstrung yeah. in terms of how long it would take for them to approve something like this.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm actually. I I, mean. I, I'm I'm a little bit curious how going to look this year so you may not even be aware of this but um the wsop is moving away from the real right. this year yeah and so right. like you know that hall where all the vendors are i don't even know if we're going to have something similar to that this year yeah. but I, I imagine so um but yeah it will be interesting to see
0: yeah 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 i thought my biggest stumbling block because i have i do know someone that's sort of in or was in harris he was high up years ago but he's gone now i've shot him on linkedin Um, I think our potential stumbling block is to get charitable status in Ireland takes about a year. So we're like registered for tax and we've got a committee and there's proper governance and all that. But we still haven't officially got the charitable status. So that could be a, a, a blocker for us, you know, but we'll see. We might even have to do something like you know the way those years for the stars qualifiers and stuff, they they'd host their stuff in PAMS, and they couldn't actually have a presence in the Rio. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we might have to just have guys walking around in t-shirts while they're playing. That's what I was going to suggest yeah. is at least get a yeah. visible
1: presence there with t-shirts and things. And it doesn't have to be you know, so officially sanctioned by, um, you know, you just need them to kind of not shut you down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like basically do an all American Dave on it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah and i'm glad carlos i'm glad you mentioned that because i it was only when your name popped up i saw carlos because i've been talking to andrew about about setting this up and i saw carlos and i was 90 percent sure it was you <laughs> but i wasn't 100 percent sure on the second name so i'm glad you mentioned that you you're that guy that was on the rail with dara or do you remember me yeah
2: yeah i remember having um uh dinner or lunch at the um they they changed the place um, right outside the um, tournament area. Um, it's like a um, it's like a taco stand or something now. But um, that little I think it was a seafood spot. Oh, I know. It yeah, had a yeah. lobster
0: lobster tank outside. Yes,
2: yes, yes. Yeah. So I, yeah, I remember um, having a good time laughing at all the uh, stories from um, you and um, laughing. Uh, yeah, it was a great yeah. time.
0: Buzios. That was the name. of it. Yes, yes, Buzio. that was the name. Buzios.
2: Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now it's now it's like, it's like a, what's the guy's name? Guy Fieri. He's got like a a taco thing there now. Um. Oh, so,
0: okay.
2: not the same vibe, but yeah, I'll always remember that day.
0: Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And are you guys? Will you be there this year?
2: I will for sure. Yeah. I don't
0: yeah, know yet. Yeah. Right. Fingers fingers crossed. We'll we'll get over some. Some shape or form, because um, it's funny. We got off the back of that that story. Like we, you know, we made fifty thousand in about six weeks, sort of grinding the fundraising, and um, and just like one week in the Irish Open, we we nearly matched it. You know, it was it's just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean the potential obviously yeah. at WSFA it would probably be even hundred uh, x that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I For wonder.
2: Sure. I wonder if. Um uh, Eugene Kachalov is, um, um, doing something similar. Maybe he, um, has some contacts for that sort of thing because with him being a, um, former, um, uh, poker stores, um, pro, um, I do know that Poker News did a story on him, um, um, leaving the Ukraine and, um, yeah, I can't imagine that, you know, if you had any kind of way to get in touch with him, he could probably put you in touch with someone that could help with that as well.
0: Good shout. We're actually in touch, Carlos. Uh, Great. So it was true. Max Silver, um, sort of connected me with him and, um, he's, he's been good. He's like sort of, you know, um, he said he's, he's actually working with another group, um, I'm not sure poker player are just connections that happen to play poker, but he, he's officially working with another group on his own thing, but he has like sort of endorsed us and like in terms of like retweeting and please support these guys. And he's connected me with um, a couple of people like sort of um, one Harvard doctor that's sending over meds. And so he's helped me out on a couple of things. So he he is friendly to us on this, which, which is great. Um, good, good. And yeah, we've, we've got some brilliant, brilliant support, like, you know, Steve O'Dwyer, Phenomenal, uh, Max as well, Dara, the guy is, you know, brilliant.
1: Well, thank you so much for what you're doing. It, it's hard. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you know this as well, but just, you know, seeing the, uh, the horrendous stuff that's, uh, that's happening there, it's, it, it's hard to watch. And it's good to see people doing yeah. what they can to alleviate the suffering there.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I, you know, and I'm getting a lot of that. And, ah, look, I get it every day. Like, and I, I just try and um, just try and put the head down. Like, cause it's and just just keep doing something. Like, you know, cause it's um, it's 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 just something. I don't know. Just it just kind of hit something on me where it was like autopilot, and it was like just par- park everything and just 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 do it, and it just snowballed. And the there, there hasn't really been a choice in it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's just you're working on something that that you just know is a higher purpose. So there's there's lots of little nice coincidences and serendipity. There's very early days we'd a priest in who was helping us. Like it was literally in that local casino, we'd we'd won the local priest was in, and he's helping us shove these body bags into our Ryanair luggage, and he's standing on the bags and all this, and it was just a gas scene to see these sort of sort of pillars of the local community that would never have been in the casino but they're all just getting stuck in and the slot machines gone off behind them and they're all packing the medicine in and um yeah so and, and he said at, at some stage during the day I think there was just so many lovely little things happening and he was like the, the wind is at your back boys you know and, and it sort of stayed there it's just been with us like that for the past um you know six weeks I think now seven weeks we've been at it it's just constantly been the, the tide's been going with us on it you know so we'll just keep going while, while we can while we can make a difference you know um, and 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 if that dries up we'll, we can
1: stop but it it, it hasn't so far we'll, we'll um, do our best to help you swell that tide
0: thanks yes. a million guys thanks very much really appreciate the time and, and the platform you're giving me on this well thank you enjoy your dinner take care <laughs> look guys
2: <laughs> okay bye see you in Vegas Carlos yeah see you then yeah see you later
1: Some kind of pill, or the devotion of a car, in the light of the fair passage of a bill, and who will
0: sign us into law. I know you won't.